of course, they are all aligned around Klarna's vision and mission, but uh, each and every team have their own problem space to solve and optimize. And I think this actually means that everyone knows exactly what to do when they come to work. We try to put the customer at the center of everything we do and always try to put ourselves in the, in the customer situation. And what I think is important here is that we don't only look at like from an overall perspective, but we, we try to dig deep into each and every detail of the different processes. And we would like to make sure that also those customers that we send to debt collection, that they should still have a positive customer experience. Even of course, if the prerequisites are a little bit different, but making sure that the transition also from Klarna to the debt collection company, that it, sh it should be as seamless as possible. Welcome to a special edition of In Touch, the podcast all about customer centricity. My name is Rainer Demski, and today's episode is first in time in this format with Elias Reiter. He is CEO International at Coeo Group. Hello, Elias. Hello, Rainer. And joining us as a guest on today's episode from Sweden is none other than the Vice President Debt Collection at Klarna. And for that reason, we will be having the conversation in English in this podcast today. A very warm welcome to you, dear Jan Hanson. Thank you very much. So how are you and where are you now? I'm fine and I'm located in Stockholm, Sweden. So I work at the headquarter at Klarna. You can see on my screen the sun is shining. Perfect day. Weekend is coming. So let's talk a bit, little bit about Klarna and the remarkable development of the company within the last years. According to your current figures, over 250,000 merchants worldwide use your service. What are the main reasons for this great success in B2B business? I think it's hard to give a short answer to that, but I, I will say ever since Klarna's first transaction, that was back in uh, 2005, it was actually the 10th of April when we had the absolutely first transaction. I think ever since then, we've been relentless in our mission to make online shopping as smooth as possible and trying to remove unnecessary friction uh, for consumers and for retailers. And I think this is one of the characteristics of what I call the, the Klarna culture or vision. And, uh, and what really sticks out to me is that the company where we are so much driven by this vision and culture, and uh, despite the fact that the company has grown quite a lot since 2005, and, and a lot of people, of course, have started and, and quitted at the company, but the, the culture is still there. And, and, uh, and I think even stronger than before. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one can say that it has become a part of the company's DNA. Mm -hmm. But uh, also an, another factor, which I think is also really important, is the way how we are organized there nowadays. Because Plana has a kind of quite unusual organizational setup, because uh, we are working in like several hundreds of smaller teams, most of the time containing all like eight people. And those teams are operating like independent startups. And uh, of course, they are all aligned around Klarna's vision and mission, but uh, each and every team have their own problem space to solve and optimize. And I think this actually means that 
everyone knows exactly what to do when they come to work. And uh, they know exactly what is the target and what are we trying to achieve in, in this team. And I, I believe that is also one of the success factors, especially when it comes to to speed and low and quality of the deliveries. Thanks, Jan, for elaborating on the success factors in culture and organization. Going to the merchant side of the Klarna business model, you just recently communicated a very grand success on winning eBay, which we all know is the former very, very close partner of PayPal. So how come that, uh, for example, such a huge, very prominent uh, merchant like eBay decided for Klarna? I think uh, talking about Klarna's overall strategy, again, it's very much about to make sure that our customers really likes our services and the, the products that we, that we are offering. And of course, whenever a company sees that this actually is a success factor and that we have been quite good in delivering this, more and more companies are, of course, interested because it actually can have a positive impact on their business. So meaning the attractiveness on the consumer, on the customer side, has a pull effect on large merchants like eBay becoming a client or a merchant of Klarna and using Klarna. Yeah, I, I truly believe so. Mm -hmm. So it's building the bridge to the next question. Let's have a look at the user. Here also the KPIs speak for themselves. As you state, over 90 million consumers use your app already. What do you do differently at the customer interface that other payment providers do? That's right. The app usage uh, are constantly growing. And, and actually today we have more than uh, 140 million active consumers and uh, about like 400,000 uh, retail partners. And we handle about actually more than 2 million purchases per day. But yeah, what we actually do differently, I think this also corresponds very much back to culture and the vision of Klarna. And also, of course, the, the people who are working here, because what we're trying to do is that we try to put the customer at the center of everything we do and always try to put ourselves in the, in the customer situation. And what I think is important here is that we don't only look at like from an overall perspective, but we, we try to dig deep into each and every detail of the different processes. And at the end of the day, what actually matters will be the details because those actually makes the total difference. So I think that is the short answer to quite a complex question. <laughs> Let's dive a little bit deeper into this process. I take for me that customer centricity is very important for you in the payment process, but, but how exactly do you put this into practice? I think, uh, first of all, one needs to understand that customers, of course, they, they are different. Uh, we, we all have different requirements and wishes. And to start with, I think one needs to try to identify that and uh, to see if we can find any patterns there and building different kind of solutions that actually suit uh, each and every customer. Mm -hmm. and their needs so uh, but in general talking about uh, why one should have like a customer's centricity in the payment process it's actually goes for all different kind of processes and uh, why is it worth investing in that yeah i think of course if you need to be if you want to be a, a successful company then you really need to make sure that your customers they need to like what you're doing they need to like your your company and the services that you are delivering but if you look at it from a financial point of view, I think there are quite a lot of statistics showing that it's also much cheaper 
and it's much easier to sell to an existing customer than to a new one. So like if you have a new customer, maybe 20, 25% of new customers will make a, a purchase. And when looking at existing customers, if you're successful, that figure actually rises to like 60, 70%. And I think that is a quite good argument for making sure that your customers uh, that you have, you need to take care of those and you need to make sure that you develop the services and that you have a progress in what you are doing. You were just stating, Jan, the phrase development or progress as we are together conducting this co-innovation process or project in Sweden. So how important is innovation when it comes to your domain, the debt collection part? I would say it's super important because even if, of course, we as a company, we are aiming to, uh, to send as few customers as possible to debt collection. But at the same time, we know that debt collection is a part of the process that you need to have in place. But it's also very, very important. How is the customer journey when the customer is actually entering debt collection? We all know that it's quite often there, there are some stigmas regarding it being sent to debt collection. And we would like to make sure that also those customers that we send to debt collection, that they should still have a positive customer experience. Even, of course, if the prerequisites are a little bit different, but making sure that the transition also from Klarna to the debt collection company, that it, sh it should be as seamless as possible. And what I mean with that is that, let's say, if we have a, a great self-service solution and offering a different way of communication channels, then, of course, it's also crucial that the collection agency do the same because otherwise the experience will be totally different when you uh, end up in debt collection. So in a nutshell, debt collection providers or vendors of Klarna have to cope with the speed of innovation that Klarna is doing in the entire life cycle of a consumer experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I truly believe that coming back to the customer's needs, they are probably more or less the same because we all have preferences. And let's say if you've never been in debt collection before, and but you're used to be able to resolve your like bank business or whatever it is in self-service solutions, then you actually have the same expectations when entering debt collection. You don't want to be required to make call to the debt collection to be able to resolve your debt. But at the same time, also, I truly believe that, it, of course, if you as a customer prefers to have a conversation with the collection agency, yeah, then you need to be able to provide a great service around that. So, uh, but people nowadays, we are more used to be able to choose our preferred way of communication. If that is email or if that is a text message or a phone call or a self-service solution, I think we all need to adopt to that. So what I hear is like the widest choice of communication channels, the widest choice of payment methods. And uh, you were naming one more element, which is the individualization, like not one fits all, but rather having individual approach towards an individual consumer. Yeah, absolutely. So if we have a look at payment process and payment methods, uh, buy now, pay later services, they are highly successful, as we know, and uh, naturally attractive to, to customers. Also. Critics say the payment option causes over-indebtedness and especially among younger customers. What is Klarna's answer to this and how maybe can debt collections help within this challenge? 
It's a good question. It is something that is discussions in, in quite a lot of the markets there where Klarna is, uh, is present. But uh, let me first uh, just make it very clear that Klarna, we think that consumers, they should buy with money that they already have. That's, uh, you have that as a starting point. But talking by now, pay later uh, industry and um, primarily Klarna, then I will also claim that most of our customers, they do not use Klarna for the credit per se. For example, if you take the invoice product, the pay later product, where you are able to make a purchase and, and uh, you get the goods and then you pay for, uh, for that purchase. I will claim that most of those customers, they do not use that product because they need a credit. It's much more of a convenience product, which makes you as a consumer to feel safe about that you get the goods, you're happy with the goods, and, uh, and, and then you can pay afterwards. And if you're not happy with the goods, then you can return them and you don't need to pay for it. So it's more about a convenience product. But of course, we are also offering different kind of credits. But coming back to your question regarding over-indebtedness, which is uh, quite complex and big topic. But I, I claim I, I've been in the debt collection industry also before I started work at Klarna for quite many years. And I think it's very, very hard and it's wrong to try to point out like one factor that is to make it way too, too simple. And then also when, when considering like our average claim size, when it comes to pay later, it's around like 70, 70 to 80 euro per transaction. And of course that create an over-indebtedness. But on the other hand, of course, the fact that consumers are offered more and more credits on different markets, they are more like companies are trying to sell in the idea of actually you can make the purchase and you can borrow the money. Of course, that, that is the problem or a challenge. And, and coming back to what we at Klarna have done is that we, uh, we always worked very hard with those questions. But during last year, we initiated our first significant long-term investment in sustainable payments. And uh, we have done quite a lot in this area. And uh, one thing that which was a quite big decision was that we decided to that we should stop offering revolving credits which sometimes is called eternity credits. It's, it works like you setting up an account, you can make purchases and you pay off, but, and then you can add more purchases into that account. Uh, that is one product that we have decided that we would stop promoting and selling. And instead of that offering time-limited credits, which, which we truly believe that there is one way of contributing to this in a positive way. So we have this, what we call the, the pink standard initiative going on in, in quite many countries. And another thing which we have done, which is not really maybe aiming the over-indebtedness, but to make it easier for people to pay. So for the pay later product, we have changed uh, the payment terms from 14 to 13 days. And that has dramatically reduced the share of transactions, the reminder, mm -hmm. uh, because we as consumers, we, uh, most of us, we get uh, like salary once per month and we are paying our bills once per month. And that was the main driver behind okay. uh, adding the additional 14 days or 16 days up to 30 days of payment terms. Mm -hmm. And so it very much has been, we, so we have two like focus areas when it comes to this. One is to make sure that we help customers not to forget to pay because when talking about why doesn't customer pay, I would claim that most common reason is that you just forgotten to pay. Yeah. Uh, and then we have tried to understand, okay, how can we help the consumers to not to forget to pay? And the, the Klarna app is one way, uh, because especially if you 
accept that we can send you push notifications because that works like a frequent reminder, but also the fact that we added more time for you as a consumer to pay up to 30 days. That has had a huge positive impact. And, and then on top of that, we are also, of course, some people will still not pay on time. But what we've done there is that we have added uh, more reminders during the dunning procedure, that is to say, after the due date until the debt collection. So we're trying to help customers in, in many ways. Another thing that we have done is that we also uh, removed some of the fees in the in the account product, which we thought actually was unreasonable. Because one thing is if it's legal, which of course it has been and it is, but still one, I think one need to sometimes actually ask oneself, does it make sense that we charge this fee to the consumer? Even if it's absolutely in accordance to law and also if it's absolutely in accordance to what everyone else actually does. And there we have changed our approach and, and, uh, and pushed quite a lot of those fees downwards. Jan, regarding the discussion in the public over the potential over-indebtedness of consumers, especially when it comes to the younger generation, there are a lot of interesting posts on TikTok and other social media when it comes to having debts with Klarna. Actually, I saw some on the smartphone of my 13-year-old daughter. So... It comes through as even entertaining, but there might be something serious behind. What is your view on this? When we're looking at the age group of younger people and we define them as 18 to 25, what we can see, because we are measuring the share of transactions to reminder, we are measuring the share of transactions to debt collection, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, of course, there, there are differences depending on age group when looking at those figures. And it goes actually more or less independent of market. However, I would claim that it's even bigger differences when it comes to gender. So if you look at different age groups, and it's true that in general, the age group 18 to 25% have a higher share of transactions to, to debt collection. Even if we, what we see is that this is declining from year to year. But the, the gender perspective is even bigger, actually, in, because in general, and that goes up to the age group of 45. Men, in general, have a higher share of transactions to debt collection compared to women. But coming back to the 18 to 25 years, because that was the question. So I think it's quite understandable that the risk for this consumer group is bigger than for elderly age groups. And because they, they have just probably just recently start working, they have not had the time to build up a buffet. And in general, the income and the salaries are probably lower. And some of them also have much higher cost in terms of a, or need to, to buy a flat, for example. And also, I think from an educational point of view, of course, they are not that used to plan and do a budget due to their age. So what we have done, Klarna, trying to help those specific consumer group of younger people is that we just recently, we, we have launched an educational film, which we call a crash course in credit, because we believe that this is very, very much about education. And what we do is that whenever you are a new customer to Klarna, we send this crash course out in email and we also make it available on the Klarna app. And what we're aiming to do with this film is to share the basic information that you need in order to, to make smarter choices when it comes to shopping on credit. 
On top of that, we also shared quite a lot of interesting data and reports and statistics on our own website, which we called Wikipink. There we are showing different data and how about, for example, age group in terms of share of transactions, debt collection there, and how this develops over time. But of course, everything from what we can do more on our side is, of course, that and which is one of the most important aspects is, of course, our own credit assessment. That is to say, how we do the underwriting. When comparing, for example, uh, coming back to this over-indebtedness question that we talked about before, that we do a credit assessment for each and every purchase that you are, are making. That actually differs from if you compare it to the credit card companies that most of the time offer like a larger open credit that you can use. And, but we do the other way around. We do credit assessment for each and every purchase. But overall, I would say that uh, from our point of view, the age group 18 to 25, and I can only talk for Klarna now, yeah, they, they have a slightly higher share of transaction to debt collection, but it's not dramatically higher. We don't see that also when looking at the later stages, we, we don't see that this age group actually causes more credit losses than any other age group. Jan, talking about pink standard and making the overall Klarna experience um, even better, how can, how can their uh, debt collection contribute to this, let's say, strengthened element of the customer centricity strategy of, uh, of Klarna? Yeah, I think what we're trying to do is, of course, because everything starts, of course, with knowledge and competence. And uh, for example, what we continuously are doing is that we're trying by doing a lot of analysis, uh, analyzing data, who are those customers that actually enters the debt collection and uh, what can we do to help them pay before. But also, of course, because we touched upon that before and in terms of why doesn't customer pays. And that, of course, depend when looking at that group of consumers, you will see differences depending on if you look at the consumer group, like 10 days after the due date of the invoice. And because there, the absolute majority of the customers that haven't paid, they've just forgotten to pay. But if you wait like additional 60, 90 days and look at those customers after due date, there you will see more customers that are in some kind of financial distress situation. This financial distress situation can be everything from severe to more light financial distress situation. And I would say the biggest group is those people that are more in the light financial distress situation, like customers that normally they're able to pull their bills every month during the year, but maybe one month they, they experience some issues because the cost was a little bit that month was higher than they expected or the income potentially was a little bit lower than they expected, which makes it hard to pay that bill. And from a collection point of view, I think one needs to try to understand why doesn't this customer pay and how do we best approach that customer? Because of course, it's a big difference depending on if you have just forgotten to pay. Then you just need to make sure that it's make it easy to make the payment and settle everything as frictionless as possible. But if you are in some kind of financial distress situation, independently, if it's a is a severe one or a more light one, then you probably will need some guidance. Sometimes you might need to set up like an installment plan, or sometimes you might also need some kind of consultancy help, meaning that 
they need more help from you as a collection agency to be able to resolve the debts. Mm -hmm. Let's have a brief look at your partnership with QEO for debt collections. What aspects are you especially happy about regarding this collaboration? Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> yeah we, we have actually had a happy cooperation with QEO. I think it's, it's always hard to walk down the memory lane, but I think it's probably 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. 10 years, 20, 2012. Yeah, because it was at the time when we, uh, when Klarna decided to launch in Germany. And when we do that, launching a new country, we, we're trying to, to learn as much as possible about that market. And then we get in contact with Queer because we wanted to get some expertise when it comes to setting up the downing procedure and the debt collection procedure. So we actually are starting using Queer as consultants, one can say, or speaking partners. And um, because at that time we were running the majority of the debt collection in-house and we did the same on the German market and then we started to use since we grow quite fast and then we started to use Queo as a, like an overflow partner and uh, then for uh, maybe it was like six years ago we decided to close down all of our in-house collection operations which was quite natural because it has never been our core business to, to work with that. Uh, and we, we also considered our cooperation with Korea as, as really great. So therefore we decided to go for an outsourcing 100% instead of having anything in-house. And uh, yeah, and I, and I think our cooperation, of course, it speaks for itself. Well, we have a the cooperation for 10 years. That uh, speaks for that it is a good cooperation. And I think I can talk for both Queo and Oklana here that... Um, it has not been a, like a traditional supplier versus client relationship, but much more of a true partnership, even if we were totally different companies. But I think we both have learned and developed by sharing insights and ideas and uh, adapting to new prerequisites on, on both sides. So I would say it's a, probably been a truly win-win relationship uh, between Queo and Klarna. Mm -hmm. So maybe some words from you, Elias, from the other side. Yeah, uh, Klarna is our lighthouse client. So we have grown with the growth of Klarna over the last decade a lot. And just as you, Jan, said, it's a joint journey, which we did in the last decade. And uh, I enjoy very much the Swedish culture that you show in our management meetings. And sometimes you show enthusiasm <laughs> in terms of, for example, giving very positive feedback on our active approach to provide you with data insights. This is what you mentioned uh, in our last uh, management meeting that we dig into deep into millions of data when it comes to customer behavior, but as well different uh, qualities of merchants that you have in your portfolio. Yeah, I totally agree. I can just confirm that this is the one that, because of course, when you are on my side, of course, you would like to work with the best collection agencies independently of country. Yeah, and of course, everyone is focusing quite a lot on, on the hard features like collection rates, etc. But for us, it's also very, very much about how can we actually improve because ending up in debt collection, of course, that doesn't need to be the end of a customer journey because and just looking at the features, most of the, the cases that are sent to debt collection are paid sooner or later. And, and then, of course, we want to make sure that independently if you're able to pay or not, we still want to 
the customer journey to be as good as possible. But also looking at data, as Elias mentioned, is uh, one way of actually improving our business in terms of the out of the claims, for example, that are not paid or paid very late. Is that something, do we, are we able to identify any patterns there that we can use in our underwriting or can we identify any shortcomings or improvement areas when it comes to our dunning procedure? All those kind of insights are hugely important for us because that is actually one way of improving your overall business and uh, becoming better. What I learned over the, let's say, last one year when it comes to the pink standard element of your Klarna strategy is the extreme importance of the customer satisfaction or customer experience. Of course, recovery rate will always be the most important one. But in comparison to other clients we serve, I believe it is an extremely outstanding strategic element of Klarna that the customer experience is almost coming on the same level of importance like the recovery rate. And that's why we took this as our focus and emphasis in the last year. And we reached this very high Google scoring of over four out of five stars, or we have a Klarna-specific net promoter score survey with over 1,000 answers per month. So it's statistically relevant, where we score like 4.7 out of five. And uh, this is really what we try to achieve from a vendor perspective to contribute to the overall customer experience of a Klarna consumer. Because, as you just said, typically a customer is a repeated customer. So the customer is then, let's say, activated, reactivated again after having paid in debt collection and should come back as a good customer again to Klarna. We started this survey, that was quite many years ago, that you were sending out the service to uh, our consumers after each and every contact that you have had with them. And I think that's also very important internally at the collection agency that we actually show uh, people working with this that, okay, we don't only measure you on collection rate, we also measuring you on treatment of the customers. And what I have seen is that it's always a very, very clear correlation between treating customers well and having a high collection rate. So those goes hand in hand. So I think that that is quite well known for all collection agencies, but I still believe it's worth emphasizing the importance of treating people nice and trying to help people to resolve the debts. That actually creates a very special customer relationship because if you, and whenever you are able to help customers, and they have a positive experience of being helped, then of course they will like to come back in again. And that is also one thing that we are measuring independently of country and the DCAs. We are we have that as one KPI that looking at the out of the customers that we send to debt collection and how many of those are actually coming back to Klarna and making a new purchase. We compare different collection agencies towards each other when it comes to this KPI as well. Because I think that one additional very important KPI to keep an eye on. So maybe we finally take a seat in the time machine, if you allow. What are your further plans for 22 and 23, especially in terms of geographical and product expansion? Yeah, it probably takes some time to talk about that. But uh, 
talking about the geographical expansion, we uh, have uh, quite recently launched in France, Ireland, Portugal, Poland. And we are now this year also about to launch in Greece, Czech Republic, Hungary, the Baltic states, and also some new countries outside of uh, Europe. We are running businesses in US and, and Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And we are now also looking into start businesses in Mexico and Japan. And there will probably be more countries next year. So this is only this year. Um, and when it comes to products, uh, that looks a little bit different from market to market, but we are about to launch a Klarna card in the US. I think we have like 1 million customers on the waiting list in US. Another thing which we go the other way around, obviously, because the card is already launched in like in Sweden and Germany and looking at what with the, the products that we currently are offering on the US market and the UK market is one product which we call pay later in parts. And that will be launched in more markets, also Germany. It's actually, it works a little bit different depending on country, but yeah, very shortly, it works like you, you make a payment, you make a purchase, and you are able to split the cost for that into three or four interest-free payments. In Europe, it will primarily be three interest-free payments, uh, meaning that you pay off like one third at the time when you make the purchase. And then you pay off the remaining two installments in a period of two months. And uh, what you do is that you, you're connecting your payments to your bank account. Uh, that means that you don't need to think about it. You can make sure that you have money on your account and then withdraw the money timely. And you don't pay any interest for that. We have also introduced, which we have had on, on many markets, but we are pushing more and more for the pay now option. Yeah, because some customers, they do not want to have the invoice or to split the payment into installments. So therefore, we are pushing for the pay now option, meaning that you are paying immediately when you're making the purchase. So it's very much about to, to give consumers their preferred way of paying, independently if that is a pay later or invoice product, or if you would like to pay directly, or if you would like to split it up into installments. Another quite big thing which we are about to, to launch is what we call the One Klarna. So to summarize, it is more like that you're able to uh, gather all your Klarna payments methods available to one Klarna user, and uh, you can actually mix those and have different uh, solutions and make it easier to have an overview and also make it easier to, to make the payment, either on full balance or just on specific purchases that you made. Mm -hmm. We are also offering more of uh, budgeting tools uh, in terms of helping customers to uh, plan their private financial situation uh, mm -hmm. in terms of costs and revenues. So sounds like a quite uh, dynamic agenda. Anyway, I wish you and hope that all your goals and plans will come true in the future. So from my side, thank you very much for this entertaining and interesting interview, Jan, and I wish you have a wonderful weekend in Stockholm, which is one for me, it's one of the favorite places to be. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And a very warm thank you, Elias, and all our listeners. Until next time on this channel, have a good time. <laughs>